0: Hello and welcome to the Strategica podcast from the Hoover Institution, analyzing the intersection of military history and contemporary national security concerns. You can find Strategica online at hoover.org forward slash Strategica. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and today we take on the topic an issue, will Europe recoup its military Capacity. Joining us now is the author of one of this issue's pieces, Joseph Jaffe. He is the Mark and Anita Abramowitz Fellow in International Relations at the Hoover Institution and a member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. Joe, thank you for being with us. Hi there. Okay, let's start with the martial spirit or lack thereof in Europe. You write in your piece about this nearly 2,000 history of Europeans as warriors – and yet you note that today, let me actually quote from your piece, quote, the warrior culture is gone. And with it, the values that celebrated duty, honor, manliness, self-sacrifice, and what Tocqueville called the poetical excitement of arms. So, Joe, you know what happened? How does a trait that prominent for that long vanish with such speed?
1: Well, first of all, let me qualify it a little bit. It hasn't completely vanished. Um, there is remnants of this warrior culture, obviously, in France and, and Britain, great powers, you know, who didn't lose the war, but, but won the war, at least nominally, and who, have, uh, who are still willing to use force as a tool of, of the national interest. So, you know, you have the, the Brits, as you know, um, fight in Iraq and fight in Afghanistan and the French went off to to bomb the Egyptians and intervened in mali uh, so that 's the qualification. I think it's the rest of Europe, especially the Germans who and of certainly the italians, who drew uh, the lesson from two world wars that it's better to be pacific and uh, and cooperative and eschew military intervention um and that that reflex was, of course, uh, uh, strengthened by the fact that that most of the Germans and most of Europe uh, had this wonderful existence under the umbrella of American strategic protection, uh, so they didn't have to, you really use force as a as a tool of statecraft. Finally, add to that what I would call post post modernity. Um, the, which celebrates, uh, to exaggerate a bit, say, call it more feminine virtues than masculine virtues. You mentioned the masculine virtues, duty, do, do honor, self-sacrifice. And we, throughout the West, in fact, and America is not immune to that, now celebrate quote-unquote feminine virtues, cooperation, community, let's talk it over, let's work together, curb your aggression, etc. So that would be my description of of the scene. And some European nations, like the Germans and the Swedes and the Italians and the Dutch, et cetera, have uh, absorbed that new culture more quickly and thoroughly than the Brits and the French. Uh,
0: to what do you attribute that difference, both between those countries that have taken it on uh, more fully than the others? And also, I mean, you mentioned in your piece that well, as you just said, the United States isn't uh, immune to that temptation. There are parts of American culture, especially if you talk about the South or places like Texas, yeah. that seem to have retained a little bit more yes, of these, yes. these sort of masculine virtues. So do what, to what do you attribute the difference? Why has it taken root more in some of these countries? than?
1: Well, I think it makes a big difference another. whether you lose World War II or win it. Right, right. Uh, right. <clears throat> It makes a big difference whether you one want you the u s as a superpower cannot rely on anybody else for its security and uh, and while protecting everybody else and if you are a European who as a who I mentioned a while ago were able to lead this wonderful life under the umbrella of america's strategic strategic protection um, the the the, the Brits and the French, remember, kept fighting after World War Two. They fought in Malaya, they fought in Algeria, they fought in Indochina, uh, and then more, more recently in, in, in the Middle Eastern wars. Um, I think it makes a difference whether you're a loser or a winner, and whether you profited as nicely as the other Europeans, the Germans in particular, from changing 180 degrees. By the way, this doesn't this, this this happened before in European history. The Swedes were the scourge of Europe in the 17th century. Uh, they had uh, conquered half the, what was then called uh, half the states of the Holy Roman Empire. And um, uh, they went all the way to Prague and plundered Prague in the Third Years' War. And then by the 19th century, they began to change. And by the 20th century, they had become as aggressive as pussycats. Um now the interesting issue you pose is is about the U.S. I think the systemic reason to repeat is that if you can't rely on anybody else, you have to rely on yourself and maintain a military and a military culture. The interesting thing about the U.S. again to stress what you said is it is the military culture, the warrior culture, is localized. It's the South, it's Texas. I guess you'll find it less in in the so-called blue states. Uh, uh in, in on, on 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 the on the two coasts i would, you might i you might I, you might say with a bit of imagine, imagine, <laughs> exaggeration that the californians northern californians and and base staters in massachusetts share more traits with, with the europeans than they share with uh, with the south and with texas so
0: you have Military downsizing in many of the major nations of Europe, yes. the UK shrinking their regular forces, the lowest levels yes. in 150 years, yes. Yes. France cutting their forces by 30,000 over the next six years, and then Germany's yes. armed forces almost down to a quarter of what they were before reunification.
1: Let so, me, let, yes, it's a quarter. They were The two Germanys were up to about almost 700,000, and United Germany is now down to about 180. Yes, it's almost a quarter. So, what it used
0: to be. So, uh, you'll occasionally hear in response to that that well, you shouldn't be that alarmed by the raw numbers because we're sort of beyond the age of of mass warfare. It's not the dominant Correct. mode of combat anymore. So, how do you respond to that take on? Well,
1: the I would be more more confident in the ability of of Europe. By the way, I have to also exclude some of the East Europeans like the Poles who are right. still have still have very large, quite large armies. Um, the, the, you're absolutely right in saying the age of mass warfare probably came to an end in the Iran-Iraq war uh, of the 80s, eight years, you know, with probably about a million casualties on either side. Uh, that was the last really big war a la World War II, a la Korea, large formations slugging, slugging, slugging it out. Now, you're right in saying it's not mass, but class that matters. However, and that's the problem with Europeans, as they're cashing in on their peace dividends, they're not investing in their kind of lithe, uh, highly mobile, highly, highly, uh, highly um, high technology, not high technology army, armies. It turns out that that kind of army that is that is a projection force, which is nimble uh it, re- it requires a lot of money it's not that much cheaper um it may it may be more expensive in fact than the kind of mass armies we had in world war two i mean what did you what did you need in world War two you gave the guy a helmet you gave him ammo and you gave him a rifle uh, look at today's today's warriors and not just at the equipment but at the mobility they, they require mobility, air, naval on land, and a sophisticated kind of stuff that extends from battlefield computers to 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 space-based surveillance. so I'm, I'm, the problem is that these armies are probably more expensive than than, than the armies of yore. and if you sh- keep shrinking your defense budgets as the Europeans have done, you know, coming down from a kind of world, uh, sorry, Cold War, Cold War peak of say three to five percent of GDP, to Germans are now doing one point four. The French are used to be five and six percent, and they're also coming down very rapidly. If you do that, then if your simple arithmetic tells you, you can't invest in mobility, for instance, or in space-based surveillance, or in tanker aircraft. Um, um, and, and, and nim- nimble mechanized forces. What has happened, if you look at, again, you know, the Germans used to be famous for their panzer armies. Right. During the Cold War, they had about 5,000 uh, main battle tanks. They're now down to about 250. Right. So no, it's more th- expensive. These armies, the mo- modern armies, are more expensive than the kind of grunts that we used to send to the killing fields uh, in the 40s.
0: Right, and some of this, as you mentioned in the piece, is a product of of what you call the the welfare-warfare squeeze, right? A lot of these states have made the the choice of of butter over guns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's
1: just butter. I mean, we're talking talking social transfers. Your modern European um, uh, democracy uh, spends Mm -hmm. about 30% of GDP on transfers, transfers of all kinds, social security, income support, etc. Now, uh, that was not the case with uh, the European states uh, in the first half of the 20th century.
0: Right, and your diagnosis from the piece, when you look at the effects, mm-hmm. what's happening to the military in these countries, I'll quote you again, fight a war beyond their borders, neither singly nor in combinations. So if I'm looking at that from the outside, what are the strategic implications there for outsiders? In, in other words, if I'm in Washington or Moscow or China or the Middle East, how does the limited reach of European military power color the way I think about the continent and the wider world?
1: Um, well, <laughs> you want to put it in, in large historical terms. Uh, the, look, if, you, if you look at Europe in the last 500 years, this was the venue of every significant war. Uh, that was fought. Uh, second, the Europeans were a race of conquerors. They 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 went off to conquer the four corners of the world. Yeah, they acquired colonial empires on which the sun never set. Ne- never ne- never set. So the you know sometimes a culture really changes very profoundly, especially since. What are you going to do with conquest in these days? I mean, wow. conquering other nations is a lot of trouble, as we have learned in Iraq, as we've learned in Afghanistan. Today, we, we want to bring order to other nations. We want to do regime change. We want to save um, um, failed or failing states. And that has turned out to be a pretty nasty proposition. We're not very good at it. So... Given the absence of great strategic threats, plus the inability to do the kind of new kind of war that we did since the nineties, uh, it's it's no surprise I would argue that uh, we've become very skeptical about the use of force. Right.
0: Right, and the, and the the final question that I'll ask you, um, and yeah. it gets to the point you made just moments ago, yeah, about how much of this is driven by cultural change. So. Yeah. You know, the as the upshot, um, so cultural that it's resistant to policy solutions, either things that can be done in Europe or things that the United States can do. Or do you think that there are some policy means that maybe only at the margins, but could change this trajectory a little bit?
1: Well, you know, there's there's a logical answer to 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 your query. One is assume a strategic threat. Uh, returns then obviously the warfare welfare calculus will have to change you might You might com- speculate uh, what if the united states obama 's America and its successors after two thousand and sixteen continue on what you what I would call the Obama course, which is self containment withdrawal. Uh, the reluctance, if not refusal, to shoulder the burden of global stability and assume and assume there's a real pivot. There is no pivot at this point. It's just rhetoric. And then suddenly the Europeans may wake up one day and say, gee, uh, we're kind of alone. We no longer get the kind of security for nothing that we used to get for the last 60, 70 years. And we are facing certain threats like uh, from the Mediterranean, uh, endemic instability of failed states, uh, <coughs> conflict spilling over across the Mediterranean. I, these are the kind of factors, if they came to fruition, that might change the calculus, but there's nothing on the horizon. You cannot fight refugees coming across uh, the, the Mediterranean with tanks and airplanes.
0: All right. My thanks to our guest, Joseph Jaffa, the Mark and Anita Abramowitz Fellow in International Relations at the Hoover Institution and a member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. You can read his piece and those of other members of the group by visiting strategica at hoover.org forward slash strategica. That's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-K-A. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast
1: has been a production of the Hoover Institution. Thank you for listening.